If you're looking for proven ways to take your fundraising results to the next level, you're in the right place. Welcome to the Intentional Fundraiser Podcast, hosted by Tammy Zonker. Tammy has trained and led thousands of nonprofit organizations to collectively raise more than a half billion dollars and is also recognized as one of America's top 20 fundraising experts. This is the podcast where Tammy equips and empowers amazing fundraising pros like you to transform your fundraising so you can transform the world. And now, let's hear from Tammy. We'll start the show in a moment after a word from a few amazing fundraisers about what they value most as members of Tammy Zonker's Fundraising Transformers community. I have had the honor of learning and growing from Tammy. She has really helped us understand how to communicate better with our donors, how to make sure that our mission is at the front line of their decision making. And she has just been an absolute joy to learn from. That's Stevie Shoemate from Chapters Health Foundation in Tampa, talking about how being a growth member is helping her communicate better with her donors. When you join Tammy's Fundraising Transformers community as a growth member, you get live training and coaching with Tammy twice each month. You can get your burning questions answered during her live Ask Me Anything sessions. You get to join in Tammy's live weekly hot topic discussions. You can engage with other fundraising pros like you and her private and safe online community. And you get 24-7 access to her growing library of on-demand fundraising training videos and tools. Here's Jenna Sapluski from the Coalition for Children, Youth, and Families in Milwaukee talking about how being a growth member in Tammy's Fundraising Transformers community is helping her grow her capacity, her skills, and her confidence as a fundraiser. It's been so helpful for me to grow my capacity and my skills. I feel more confident uh, knowing that I have Tammy and the Fundraising Transformers group for support. I've reached out to Tammy and the group on several occasions, whether it be just some wording for an email to say, hey, can somebody give me just a little bit of feedback on this? I'd love your thoughts before I send this out for an initiative. We'll hear more later in the show about why Jenna values having access to Tammy's members-only, on-demand training library. To learn more about the Fundraising Transformers community, visit fundraisingtransformed.com forward slash growth. Today on the Intentional Fundraiser podcast, I'm talking with my good friend and brilliant fundraiser, Cherry and Koshi. He is the principal and consultant with Endowment Partners, and they're an investment management firm that works solely with nonprofits and foundations. We'll be talking about what's on every fundraiser's mind right now, and that is fundraising in a challenging economy, especially as we're heading into the fourth quarter. So we're looking at inflation and possible recession. We want to talk about donor advice funds and how they might be part of the solution. Securities, cryptocurrency, how do we as fundraisers navigate it all? So before we jump into the conversation, let me tell you just a little bit more about Cherian. So first, Cherian's a super nice guy, like super nice, whether he's mentoring someone or encouraging them to get their CFRE, or maybe just you know, encouraging and mentoring them to take their career to that next level. He is truly a champion for fundraisers everywhere. Next, 
super smart, like super smart, but can talk so that we can understand <laughs> a relatable, super smart guy. Uh, so he has his uh, CFRE. He is a chartered advisor in philanthropy. So he has his cap. He's a AFP master trainer and has loads of other credentials. He's also super generous. He serves on nine or 10 nonprofit boards, including the AFP Global Board. He's an amazing keynote speaker. And all of that, in addition, as I said, to his work at Endowment Partners. That combination, I think, makes Cherian a perfect person to talk about this important topic of fundraising in a tough economy. Cherian, welcome to the show. Oh, I'm blushing, Tammy. Thank you so much. What a great introduction. I think I'm just going to have you do all of my introductions from now on. I'm just going to take that audio and record and take the recording and just play it before I ever speak. Yes, that intro on demand. I love it. That's great. I love it. (laughs) So are you ready to jump into some questions? I am so ready. I'm thrilled. Awesome. All right. So some say the U.S. is in a recession and others disagree, but no one is arguing that it isn't tough out there. What are you seeing and how do you envision it affecting year-end giving and giving in early 2023? Yeah. So one of the signals that came out in the last few weeks was around GDP and negative GDP for the first two quarters of 2020. Too. And so a lot of people, uh, you know, started talking about the recession already being here. And so one of the things to remind your listeners is that the National Bureau of Economic Research is the one that actually defines a recession, and they do it really based upon a, a multitude of factors. So if there was a recession, or if we are in a recession, we aren't officially going to know until probably next quarter, so sometime around year-end fundraising time. Um, but as you mentioned, the biggest concern right now is all of the other things that are happening on Main Street. So it doesn't really matter around you know what GDP looks like or, or necessarily what the stock market or inflation looks like. You know, there is a squeeze on on normal people, and there's definitely a squeeze on nonprofits. Um, so that's really what I've been hearing a lot about is is how organizations have been uh, adversely impacted, primarily by inflation. You know, uh, even though the last print that we got earlier this week was um, lower than expected, eight point one, we've had several months in the nines, um, which really just basically means that things are way more expensive. You you've certainly seen this at the grocery store, you've seen this at the gas station, um, and it makes it harder for nonprofits to do what they're doing. For individuals, of course, their their giving is impacted by inflation as well, particularly if they're making gifts of cash. So those are are all things that um, folks are thinking about and talking about when it comes to year-end giving. What I want to remind your listeners about in particular is that even though it does in the short term seem very tough, right? This year, thus far, the uh, the stock market has has done has not done well. We just had a really great day. Uh, so the market literally just closed right before we started recording, and it was up 400 points, um, one of the largest gains uh, that we've seen 
this year, <laughs> which is which is great. Um, but to put all of this in reference, the the Dow Jones closed at about thirty three thousand. Um, the week before the pandemic, it closed at twenty nine thousand. So we're ten percent up from where we were right before the pandemic. So we went down, and now we're up another ten percent. So what I think this means for year end fundraising is that people are are less likely to make gifts of cash because they're they they have expenses that they've got it they've got to you know spend money on whether it's uh with gas money or or food or whatever um some of the research out there right now indicates that people are spending less meaning they're putting less money on credit cards uh from the credit card company research so if you're if you're asking people for gifts of cash uh for year end fundraising you may you you do need to price in uh, some some decrease. Uh, I would say that's probably the wisest thing to do. If you are diversifying your asks when it comes to year-end fundraising, if you're including some other options that don't involve someone's checkbook, I think you actually will um, will maintain kind of your expectations. I think that will um, offset some of the inflationary pressure. So that's sort of what I've been counseling our nonprofit clients to think about. Um, and certainly as we talk to uh, to larger groups of fundraisers all the time, really thinking about not just digging into the, the, the tried and true cash bucket, but what are all the different options that are out there? Mm-hmm. It's really good. So let's just unpack what some of those other options are. Yeah. Yeah, I know donor advice funds are one way to really allow high net worth individuals to su- continue supporting their favorite nonprofit causes, to your point, without dipping into cash Yep. and or securities. You know, their stocks may be down, although it sounds like today was a good day. I had stopped looking, quite frankly. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> so you've given me some excellent news going into the weekend. And fortunately for us, when it comes to donor advice funds or DAFs, I read just recently there are more than a million Americans who hold DAFs, mm-hmm. and the I'm trying to remember what the value. It's like it's it's billions of dollars. 160 billion dollars in 2020, and I think it's you know it's just gone up from there. So yeah, yeah. Um, we just continue to see that number rise. So yeah. that is um, the so one piece of that puzzle is obviously the fact that. These people are charitably minded. You don't open up a DAF if you're a selfish jerk. <laughs> you open up a DAF because you have cash or assets that you would like to give to charity at some point. And I know that there are all kinds of concerns and discussions around DAFs and throughput rate, meaning how much money goes out of the DAF and how much money is held in the DAF and, and is it going to be held there in perpetuity. So let's bracket that debate and put that over on the side and just say, there are a million plus DAF accounts. They hold in excess of $160 million. There are people- Billion, billion oh, Sorry, billion. Dollars. Yeah, sorry, sorry. Uh, $160 billion in DAF accounts. They exist- And so it would be wise for nonprofits to have strategies for fundraisers to look at ways in which they can encourage people to make gifts from their DAFs. Um, And alongside that, to remember, uh, sort of tying back to what I just said, 
when when you put the economic perspective, when you zoom into the economic perspective, you're looking at day-to-day fluctuations. And that's really my job, right? Like our investment team's job is to look at what's happening and how do we uh, how do we think about investment advice for, for nonprofit organizations. But when you extract yourself and you take that 30,000 foot view of the organ of the economy, it's up and to the right, right? The economy always grows, it always gets bigger. Um, and because of that, what what advice most people don't hear is that you should be talking to your donors now in a recession or possible recession about strategies for what happens after that, because the economic cycles are sacrosanct. When there's a down economy, the next thing to happen is uh, you know growth and then the peak. And most people don't plan for that up cycle. They're just you know, sky is falling, sky is falling during the, the recessionary period. And if you talk to donors today and they're saying, oh, I wish I could give more, those are that's the line I want to hear as a fundraiser. I wish I could do more. If I hear that, now we can talk about, have you ever thought about with cash or assets, opening a donor advised fund or making a gift of assets? Or have you thought about charitable planning that would help you actually get money every month or every year uh, as a result of your gift? So you can help your kids or your grandkids or something like that. So these are all good conversations to have today with your donors when they uh, when they allow you to have that conversation of, you know, there are actually ways that you could do more. Let's start planning for that for the future and not worry so much about this artificial year end or fiscal year end, but let's unleash donor generosity whenever it's appropriate for them to do so. And certainly if they do have a donor, Helen Brown actually has a new tool uh, called the DAF Finder. It doesn't tell you how much is in the account, but you can start looking at um, the the number of DAFs that are out there and see if there are people in your database that might have a DAF and then to share stories of people who have given from a DAF. So you don't need to say, hey, Tammy, I know you have a DAF and you know, the average DAF account is $160,000. So how about throwing 10 grand my way, right? Like you don't have to be <laughs> obtuse about that. You, you can... So charming and endearing when you say it like that, Tyrion. <laughs> right, exactly. So um, rather than than sort of being, you know, beating someone over the head in a donor conversation to say, uh, hey, I, there's, this, there's this other um, individual, this couple, whatever, they had a donor advised fund and they use that to be able to make a gift during, um, during a recession or when their, um, when their assets were down. Is that something that you've ever thought of? Is it, you know, have you ever thought about opening a DAF? Oh, well, we actually have a DAF. Oh, great. Would love to talk to you about how you could utilize that to help continue your giving through this, this period of time in 2020. Yes. Yes. It's beautiful. I mean, it's such a natural relationship based way to enter that conversation. Not like I've been Googling you. Right. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I see you've been giving money to the children's museum. (laughs) You scoundrel. Yeah. I thought you've been cheating on us. (laughs) Well, for our listeners who may not be as familiar with DAFs, will you just give us kind of that 101 on DAFs and why there's such a great incentive? Absolutely. So the the um, the simple version of a donor advised fund is that it's an account held typically by uh, like a, a charitable institution, a community foundation, or Fidelity and, and Schwab, and, and these types of investment management uh, firms have 
donor advised funds. In fact, they're, they're some of the larger ones. So basically, if you have money that you would like to uh, allocate for a charitable purpose, anyone can do this, um, you, you open up an account and you put money into that account and it's, it's invested. So it grows and then you're allowed to use that money in the future to make charitable gifts. Now, the real advantage is that you don't have to decide where that money goes at the time you make the gift. So I can put in quite literally $1,000 into a donor advised fund today, and I get the charitable deduction for that $1,000, that gift that I've made to a, a nonprofit foundation organization. Um, I get that that tax deduction today, which I can use for year-end you know, tax purposes. Um the other cool thing about a donor advised fund is that it enables giving across the spectrum. So cash is definitely advantage. You can deduct up to 60% of your income um, if you donate cash. So if you uh, if you make $100,000, just for ease of math, if you make $100,000, then you could donate $60,000 uh, to a donor advised fund and take that as a tax deduction. When it comes to appreciated assets like stocks, mutual funds, bonds, anything like that, uh, it's 30% of your income. So you know, in that analogy, $30,000. But then um, the cool thing with a lot of these these uh, these donor advised fund administrators is that you can do things that are a little bit more complex, like real estate or closely held business interests or even collectibles. So if you donate a Picasso to the Children's Museum, which is probably a bad idea because kids and Picassos, <laughs> um, but if you donate the Picasso, you don't get as much of a tax advantage. But if you put it into a donor advised fund, the donor advised fund can sell the Picasso and then you get the charitable deduction for the actual value, the, the auctioned value of the Picasso, less fees and whatnot. Um, and then the other thing to note, which is a little bit more complex, but if you're still with me, you can also carry that forward. So if you need, if you have a big income stream, your donor has a big income stream one one year. They sell a business, they sell a property, or something like that. These are other things for fundraisers to listen to. Like, oh, we're we're selling our business, or we're selling this piece of uh, property that we own, or uh, we're we're retiring from our business, or something like. Those are all key things to think about because depending on the size of the business, it might be actually quite a bit smarter for them to put some of those assets into a donor advised fund, they end up walking away with more cash. So you're really solving a donor problem when you when you talk about donor advised funds, because I know the rub for a lot of fundraisers is, I don't want to talk about a donor advised fund because I won't get all of that money. I'd rather just talk about a, a straight up gift. And it really is beneficial to all parties involved if you go that route. So Again, simply donors put money into the account, the account grows, and then they get to basically write a grant uh, whenever they feel like it to the charities of their choice. Some people wait for a really long time, so, but the average um, payout rate in 2020 was about 25%, 24, 25%. So if they have $100,000 in the account, 25,000 is going out every year, um, which I think is I mean, that's higher than a lot of other entities, right? Like private foundations, corporate foundations, way, way lower than that, even at the you know highest rate of private foundations. Uh, right. DAFs are, are spending way more. Yeah, yeah, it's really good. So you mentioned a resource, a DAF finder. Say that again. And yeah, that's, let we'll me, put the link in the absolutely. show notes. 
um, so Helen um, Helen Brown created this thing called DAF Definitive, I guess is how you pronounce it. D A F I N I T I V E, and I'll send you the link so you can uh, include it in the show notes. But it's Definitive.com, and it's a donor advice fund search. I I have not actually demoed it, but I saw her tweet about it, and I know somebody else who uh, test drove it and said it was really cool. But it's quite literally the only searchable database uh, to help find information about donor advised funds. So brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant. It's a great tool that I should exist. So yes. Uh, and like I've been asking and searching. So this, I'm so delighted to hear about <laughs> this. It's awesome. Yeah. You know, and in the interim, uh, while you research this and learn more about it, you know, look at your database, notice gifts that have come in, like someone designated a gift to you, a grant to you through the community foundation or Vanguard or Fidelity and like get curious, like look beyond that. That may very well be that donor has a donor advised fund there. So we, you know, we get so busy as fundraisers. We just want to get that gift acknowledgement out to thank the foundation. Right. Yes. And we don't do the due diligence behind it necessarily. Like get a little Nancy Drew Hardy boys vibe going on and do some sleuthing to figure out who are the donors that likely have a DAF because if they've given through it before, they're more likely to give through it again. Absolutely. Yeah. And have those conversations, reach out. And hopefully, you know, you've done some of that and you've loved them up and told them how their grant through the foundation has made a difference. So Tammy, that's the most critical thing. Uh, So absolutely important when you're doing any sort of research in your database to do the soft credit, that's brilliant advice. The the thing that I think a lot of uh, fundraisers forget about is that within a lot of these DAF accounts, you can just go in and click all of the grants that you've done before and repeat them. So what you need to do is really love up on those donors and explain to them what they did because you want them to go in and change that, right? And say, hey, I gave $500. I, I'm going to give $1,000 in the future, as opposed to have them do the Ronco, set it and forget it, DAF funding. Um, <laughs> Um, and and just you know lather rinse repeat on what they did last year because that happens quite a bit in the DAF world. Yeah, so good. Talk to us about securities and cryptocurrency again. Roller coaster, right? Market fluctuations have really been like a roller coaster. So what should we be considering now when it comes to stocks and that really scary word? Cryptocurrency. <laughs> yeah. So I'm not going to go too deep onto crypto because there's so much there to talk about. Yeah. But what, I, um, what I'll come back to is in terms of fluctuations in the market, it's important to remember whether they're marketable securities like stocks or uh, or you know mutual funds or, or things like that, uh, or even cryptocurrency. In the small view, if you look at what's happened this year, Yes, absolutely a decline. If you look at the longer view, even just five years, it's been a really significant increase. Um, And most of your donors, 55, 65 plus, which is most donors in the United States, they haven't been just investing for five years. They've been, been investing for 10, 20, you know, that kind of thing. So think about it this way, uh, back to the, the Dow Jones. In 2012, the Dow closed at 13,000. And we just talked about how today it's at 33. They're significant. They tripled their money in the last 10 years. 
So that's a significant amount of capital gains. There's a lot of opportunity there. And people may not want to get rid of their securities, which is very true of cryptocurrency. So the thing that I I share with fundraisers all the time is talking to them about if you're if you really love the stocks that you own or the cryptocurrency coins that you own, donate a portion of it and then use your cash to buy back at those same positions. So if you have Ethereum um, and you bought it at 100 and it's now uh, I think it's at 1500 today or something like that. You've it's probably it's certainly down from a year ago when it was like 4000, but it's still there's still capital gains for you. So take a portion of it and rebuy at the 1500 because now if you sell that, you don't have the capital gains that you would have to pay from where it was at 500. Same thing is true with your stocks. If you bought it 13,000 10 years ago, you're gonna have to pay a ton in capital gains. Rebuy now at wherever it is and you're way better off from because not only do you keep that position at a higher tax basis, you also um, get the t- the charitable tax deduction. So it's a it's a double win for the donor, and that's why I I say that every nonprofit should be able to accept a gift of securities, stocks, bonds, um, you know those types of things, um, and be able to do so for free. So if your if your advisor or the firm that you're using charges a commission, um, you know you should investigate other options. We we do not do charge fees uh, for simple stock transactions. So I think that's really important when it comes to cryptocurrency. That's a very niche type of uh, donor. And so really, uh, it's one of these things where a lot of people will say, oh, you know, they're making a lot of money in cryptocurrency donations. It might be right for you. But even Pat Duffy was speaking at a a conference uh, I was at last couple of weeks ago. And uh, Pat owns the company, The Giving Block, which facilitates cryptocurrency donations for nonprofits. It's a great tool. But he said, if you're not great at Twitter, you are not going to be great at cryptocurrency fundraising. <laughs> and there aren't a lot of nonprofits that are that are good at Twitter. So you got to align yourself with the with the brand of cryptocurrency to be able to get those those donations to happen. It's not as easy as uh, as I would think for for stocks and uh, and other uh, certainly like cash or monthly givings uh, mm-hmm. or something like that. But for yeah. organizations that that's their brand, uh, and that that's what they're good at. You could do really well in crypto philanthropy. Cherry, and we'll have you back for another episode where we'll talk just about crypto okay, because I love there it. there is a lot to unpack there. Yeah. We're back with growth member Jenna Zapluski from the Coalition for Children, Youth, and Families in Milwaukee talking about how having 24-7 access to Tammy Zonker's on-demand training library is helping her become a better fundraiser. Since joining the Fundraising Transformers group, I have had the opportunity to go back and re-watch a host of trainings on such a wide variety of topics from how to work with my team members inside my organization to how to get my board excited and passionate about fundraising and topics like how to reach out to a donor and how to get a meeting with a donor. Here's Stevie Shoemate from Chapters Health Foundation in Tampa, sharing that as a growth member in Tammy's Fundraising Transformers community, you're never alone. 
how members of the community support one another by sharing resources and lessons learned to help solve tough fundraising problems. You oftentimes learn from other people across the entire country, which is really nice because it helps you understand that you're not alone in your uh, fundraising challenges. It, um, I was just sharing with someone the other day that it really helped me feel like I wasn't the only one experiencing these challenges, knowing that someone from New York or New Hampshire or Texas, um, people all over the US with varying communities and different fundraising strategies, we're all in this together. At the end of the show, we'll hear why members enjoy learning from Tammy and what you can expect when you join as a growth member in her Fundraising Transformers community. To learn more about the Fundraising Transformers community, visit fundraisingtransformed.com forward slash growth. You know, I've heard you talk about the distinction between risk and uncertainty and making the next right choice. Take us to school on this. Oh, that's a good one. That's potentially a whole other podcast on its own, but way too nerdy for most people. So let me um, let me give your listeners an example, and I'm not I'm not going to put you on a spot on the spot to have to answer this. I um, it's it's better with a visual. So if you visualize a um, an opaque like jar, right? Uh, actually, two jars, and um, so in the jar, I I say there there's a 50-50 mix of black beads and red beads. And if you pull out a red bead, you win. And in this other opaque jar, I tell you there are black beads and red beads, but we don't know what that looks like. But if you pull out a red bead, you win some prize, right? When they when we do those studies, um, you, and so just take a moment and say, which jar would you choose from? right? And if you're listening to this podcast, which jar would you choose from? Most people say, I'll pick the one that's 50-50. And if we switch and say, okay, what if the black bead's the winner instead of the red bead, they still choose the one that's 50-50, which doesn't make any sense when it comes to probability. So this is the big distinction between risk and uncertainty. We tend to perf- we tend to prefer known risks, and I love behavioral science and behavioral economics, and we could talk for days on that uh, on its own. But the idea is that we we tend to conflate the idea of risk, where there are multiple options that we could decide from. However, we we could calculate out the probability of success in one of those decisions, and that's risk. Uncertainty, at least according to this professor from the 1900s uh, and and his his concept of uncertainty, is a thing where you don't you have no clue. you don't you don't know any of the variables. And because of that, uncertainty is really different in terms of making a decision. Um, when it comes to nonprofits in particular, we because we conflate these two things, we tend to say, well, that's risky. And therefore, I shouldn't do it. But if we do enough research, if we find good information, if we delve into that information, we get people to help us with understanding the probability of those different risks, then we can make better decisions around the risks. And with uncertainty, there isn't really a right answer. It's just, it is what it is. We don't know if lightning's going to strike. That's a you know really great example. Um, if anybody is listening that's a sports fan, there was a Super Bowl once where the Seattle Seahawks decided to, uh, if they got a touchdown in the last few minutes of the game, they would have won the Super Bowl. And the call from the coach was to rush to rush instead of throw the ball, even though they had this great quarterback. I won't get into all the sports ball part here, but 
Annie Duke talks about this in her book, Thinking in Bets. And she says, everybody was pissed off because the, the Seahawks rushed the ball and they lost the Super Bowl. And everybody's like, how could you rush the ball? You've got this great quarterback. You should have thrown the ball. And if you look at the data, the data says that this running back was very successful in running the ball at this yardage in these scenarios. The math indicated that that was absolutely the right call. But so often we look at the result of an action. Oh, you didn't get the touchdown and then say that was the wrong call, as opposed to look at the probabilities of these two courses of action and choose the one that makes the most probabilistic sense. Yeah. So that's more than you bargained for, but it's- I love it. I mean, it, it speaks to the calculated risk. Yes. And as you're talking, I'm thinking about year-end campaign strategy. And, you know, looking at segmentation, yeah. really thinking about gift strings and attaching those gift strings to impact statements, figuring out how can we have a challenge gift. Those are calculated risks, risk factors. Those are things that we can apply math. We can look at historical patterns and results and make some calculated decisions. Correct. Versus I think uncertainty could be, let's just do what we did last year. Yes. <laughs> right? Or or what I call the 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 hippo effect, the highest paid person's opinion. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Don't get me started. Like, right? <laughs> there's someone who's like, well, why would we do this segmentation? What like why don't we just send out one thing? It's cheaper to send out one thing to everyone. Let's just and, ask a thousand people for a thousand dollars each. Oh my god. Oh, and then that's our the worst. <laughs> Someone call Oprah, which is terrible, like a terrible analogy for me because I worked in an organization where they did get an Oprah gift. So um, I couldn't ever bat that one down. Or the uh, new McKinsey Scott. Let's call yes. it. Who knows McKinsey? Right. Exactly. But there's so much of this like, uh, and we saw this in the pandemic, a lot of organizations just said, we don't know what's happening. So let's stop asking. And yeah. coming back to the recession, I come back to the number one piece of advice that I could give your listeners right now is don't stop asking. Don't mm -hmm. stop talking about your, your impact and the needs that are out there and the opportunities for donors. You don't know the financial situation of your donors. You don't know what their assets are. You don't know what their heart is. Uh, yeah. They may choose to make sacrificial gifts in the midst of a recession because they know how important your mission is. Don't take that away from your donors. Don't decide for them that they can't give. Put Absolutely. Put out there and make sure that you continue to ask and that you nuance that and say, you know, okay, there are some people who won't be able to give a cash gift right now. Let's talk about a monthly gift. There are some people who can't do um, a cash or monthly gift. Let's talk about an asset-based gift. Plan for the future, right? If someone says, I can't give you anything right now, no worries. Let's talk about your, but you care about this cause. You care about these beneficiaries. You care about the, these issues. Let me tell you a story of someone who, um, who gave a gift of life insurance or made us a beneficiary of their IRA or made a gift in their will. These are all things that cost you nothing today. If you keep putting the needs and opportunities of the organization out there, um, people will respond to that. And I think we saw that through the pandemic, but it's so important to remember that. I could not agree more. I think that's brilliant advice. You know, and if we are feeling it at the pump and when we buy a gallon of milk, you're lactose intolerant, yeah. a, ga a gallon <laughs> of lactate. <laughs> Oat milk. It's oh, there we go. Now. Oat milk. Yes, you're <laughs> 
you're so chic. <laughs> we know that though many of the beneficiaries of our work, many of our our clients uh, are feeling it so much more significantly. Absolutely. Yeah. Beautiful. All right. Cherry, and anything else we need to hear right now in these uncertain times? Um, the the only th- other thing that I would say to your listeners is that you need to stay encouraged. I know that it seems like whammy after whammy, you know, pandemic and great resignation and, you know, trying to do the job of, of multiple people and now a recession and it, it can feel overwhelming. And in fact, it is. <laughs> it is indeed overwhelming. So let's own that and say, yes, it's overwhelming. But the work that you all are doing, I don't know you, but I know that you work in a nonprofit and that you you're trying to raise funds for that organization and that work is important. Your community depends on you. And while I don't want to put any additional pressure on you, I know that you are making a difference and you go to work every day and the world is better because you do. So thanks for what you're doing and just stay encouraged. That's my word. I told you all you would love Cherian. <laughs> do we not love Cherian? Yes. Yes, we do. All right, Cherian. At the end of each episode, I like to ask a few rapid fire questions. I think that it gives a little more value and some insights to our listeners. So are you ready for some rapid fire? Yeah, I'm ready. Ready as I'll ever be. All right. First one, what's the best fundraising or development advice you've ever been given? So that one is easy. Um, I got it from Linda Liskowski, who was one of my mentors way back when I didn't even really know what fundraising was. And her piece of advice was keep learning. Always be learning about the work that you're doing and what are even better practices that you could do. The never stop learning one is one that I've taken to heart and that I continue to to wake up doing every, every day in some way, shape or form. Yeah. Love it. Love it. What book do you recommend to our audience and why? Well, so there's a couple of, uh, I think we talked about a couple of books. Uh, One is, if you're interested in risk and uncertainty, we should talk more, but um, Annie Duke's Thinking in Bets is a great one. What I would say is from a fundraising perspective, I think we're facing a leadership crisis. We have a lot of people who are retiring, uh, a lot of organizations that are struggling to prepare people for leadership. So there's a really great book by our friend, Mark Pittman, called uh, The Surprising Gift of Doubt. And I think I consider it like desk reference on leadership. Um, So if you are just starting out in leadership or you are fumbling your way through it, like I have been for for decades, uh, or if you're a seasoned leader and you you just need a refresher on some concepts, Surprising Gift of Doubt by Mark Pittman is one of my favorites. I love that. And a note to listeners, uh, keep looking at future episodes because Mark will be on the Intentional Fundraiser as a guest and we'll be talking about that brilliant book. That's great. Yeah. Very good. Next question. What are the top three characteristics a successful fundraiser needs? So can I... um... Can I sort of be, I, I don't want to say antagonistic, but a lot of people will say listening, but I want to, I want to differentiate listening and say, you need to listen, but you need to listen at what I would consider one of the highest levels of listening, which is the good of the other person. So a lot of times we're listening to someone and we want to process the information and we're directional about how we use that information. But I think what we need to think about at a deeper level is how are we listening to what's unsaid? 
How are we listening to the the things that this person deeply wants and cares about in their life? Uh, Jen Love does, you know, explains that every nonprofit was was essentially founded because somebody got angry enough about a problem that they started an organization to address that. And the people who are giving to your organization are similarly angry about something and they want or, and they want that thing solved. So how do we get there? And it comes back to this idea of growing a grateful donor, someone who says, thank you for allowing me to live out this solution to the problem that our community faces. And that doesn't necessarily mean saving someone from a bad situation. It may mean them realizing, hey, I have a lot of privilege and I needed to learn that this was part of who I need to be, who I need to be when I grow up. So that's a lot baked into one thing, but it sort of, I think, is the big characteristic that every successful fundraiser needs to truly understand. Mm, I love that. And it's so forward thinking. I mean, it is. Love that. What's your favorite fundraising tool or application? I think there's a lot of cool tools that are coming out right now in the tech boom of nonprofit technology. And so there's a lot of neat things that are out there. I got to hear about some really cool AI tools at this uh, conference that I was at. And so without singling out one, because they're all great people and great friends, I think nonprofits should start looking at what artificial intelligence and machine learning can do for your organization, because there are some really cool applications that are out and are evolving and some that are just coming out that are really, really interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I donor. Oh, go ahead. No, please. Well, I was just going to say some that are donor facing, like figuring out donor activity and some that aren't and both, you know, both sides of that are really neat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We've been doing, uh, we've been having a lot of conversations at fundraising transformed with some of these tech partners as well. And just the impact that they can have. I mean, we all struggle to get additional staff to add staff. Yeah. A- and these tools have the equivalent. Like we can truly work smarter and it can help fill that staff void that we all feel. Absolutely. Yeah. So good. All right. Now this one could get you into a lot of trouble. <laughs> Cherry, and I know that you speak at a lot of conferences, you keynote a lot of conferences. Which conference is your favorite? And why? Which children of you? Which of your children do you love the most? Yeah, exactly. That, that was exactly what I was going to say. I have three kids, and they always ask, like, which one's your favorite? And I'm like, well, you're my favorite daughter because <laughs> I only have one. Um, so I, I will say what I love about the AFP International Conference is that because it's so large, it's the one time where I get to see so many people in one place and catch up with so many people. So I do love that because I feel like when I go to all these other conferences, I miss out. And like someone texted me today, I'm like, hey, are you going to be in this at this place? I'm like, no, you know, not that one. That one's certainly uh, one of my favorites. I, I think there are some conferences that are doing some really smart things virtually um, that are really cool. So some uh, N10's virtual conference was really great this last year. I really enjoyed being part of that. There's so many. So many. Yeah. You were very political there. I love that. And authentic at the same time. I I think there, you know, the, the big thing to think about when you're thinking about conferences you know, where are your people and where are you, like, where do you really want to learn from, right? Like what environment do you want to learn from? What people do you want to learn from and with and 
how does that all play out? So for some people, it's super small and super, super hands-on. And in that case, like nonprofit storytelling is a fantastic conference. Um, I've never been, but like everything that I've heard, people are like, this was so good. It was life-changing experience. Yeah. And, it was amazing. And uh, I'm looking forward to going at some point, but then, you know, other people love the big, big, big conferences. And Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, just depends. Yeah. Just depends. That's good. And I'll just say it was such a pleasure to co-present with you and our mutual friend, Rachel Muir at AFP international conference this year. That was awesome. I am going to encourage you to go to nonprofit storytelling conference the end of October. I'll, I'll be keynoting on day oh, one. Yay. So excited about that. Would love well, to see I will, you there. Well, I will do my best, but I've used your story about uh, wealth screening in a board presentation that I gave because they were asking about, about sharing information about wealth screening. And I was like, let me tell you the story <laughs> from my friend, Tammy. <laughs> And yes. everybody just was appalled. So you'll have if you haven't told that story on the podcast, you'll definitely need to. I will tell it. I will tell it. So that it, it came from the presentation that Cherian and Rachel and I gave, and the title of the presentation at AFP International Conference was "What Happens in Vegas Stays in Vegas," like our worst fundraising fails. Yes. So we'll leave it as a cliffhanger, a little mystery there, um, but we can learn so much from our failures, maybe even more them from our successes. Yes, indeed. Yeah. All right. Uh, Last rapid fire question. Knowing what you know now about fundraising, what advice would you give your younger self who's just starting out in the profession? I think that it all comes back to find um, a mentor, a guide, a sage. Um, I was late to that game and I'm so grateful for Linda and several other people that stepped into that void. But today I have this essentially personal board of directors that we meet regularly. They help kind of counsel me on things. If I had that when I was younger to bounce ideas off of, uh, to remind me of how much more I had to learn, I would have made way fewer mistakes, different ones, but, uh, and still mistakes, but just um, that would have been so much helpful. So, so much more helpful. So if you are in that spot, uh, I could just could not encourage you more to find other people to come around you and help think through whether it's career or, or practical stuff or whatever it might be. Friends like you, Tammy, are mm-hmm. just super helpful in thinking through like, eh, where, where am I? What, what are some things that other people are talking about that I should be paying attention to? And it, it's just, it's just great to be able to have those conversations. Yeah, I, I agree. And it's definitely an honor to be in your circle. Yeah. So Honor good. is all mine. <laughs> well, Cherian, thank you for joining us and sharing your wisdom and your smarts and your heart and you know helping us to be better fundraisers and wiser fundraisers. And I think just more thoughtful, intentional, courageous fundraisers. So thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's such a pleasure to, like I said, to be able to talk with you uh, whenever we get to do so. And I look forward to seeing you in person soon. Yeah, hopefully at Nonprofit Storytelling or somewhere else in the world. Yes. Yeah. So if you want to learn more about Cherian and his work with Endowment Partners, check out his website, endowmentpartners.com. We'll include that link in the show notes as well. And likewise, if you want to follow Cherian on social, and who wouldn't, (laughs) check out the show notes. We'll include a link to his Twitter handle and his LinkedIn profile and all his other handles. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of the Intentional Fundraiser Podcast with me, Tammy Zonker. Stay strong and keep on transforming your fundraising so you can transform the world. We're back for a final word about Tammy Zonker's training style and what you can expect when you join as a growth member in her Fundraising Transformers community. Here's growth member Jenna Sapluski from the Coalition for Children, Youth, and Families in Milwaukee. Tammy is so encouraging. She's very empowering. She really wants you to succeed in your role. And that really comes through with everything that she does, from the monthly coaching calls to the monthly webinars. The guidance I've received from Tammy and other members of the Fundraising Transformers group has always been so constructive, so beneficial, and you can tell everyone in the group wants everybody else to succeed because we all know what a challenging job it can be to fundraise for our our wonderful causes and our organizations. You may be asking yourself, can a growth membership really help me improve my fundraising results? Is it worth my time? Laurel Grow from Phoenix Family in Kansas City shared that her organization increased charitable dollars raised by 132% since joining as a growth member. Becky Shambliss from Awake in Anchorage, Alaska shared that her organization increased donor retention from 13% to 69% in about a year using what they learned from Tammy's training. And growth member Amanda Johnson from Multiplying Good in Indianapolis shared that her organization exceeded their annual fundraising goal by 104% and grew overall giving by 13% in one year by applying lessons learned from Tammy as a member of her Fundraising Transformers community. Here's member Stevie Shumate again sharing how she and you can grow your fundraising skills as a growth member of Tammy's Fundraising Transformers community. This is the first fundraising role that I have ever been in before. Um, so at 30 years old, I'm, I'm kind of wondering, well, how do I rocket launch my fundraising expertise? You learn from Tammy Zonker. That's what you do. Become a member of the Fundraising Transformers community. To join our live monthly training and Ask Me Anything sessions and get access to our growing library of on-demand training videos and tools and share lessons learned with other fundraising pros like you in our private and safe online community, visit fundraisingtransform.com growth, click join, and get started today. That's it for this episode of the Intentional Fundraiser Podcast. If you like this podcast, subscribe and download each episode on your favorite podcast platform. Share it on social media with the hashtag, The Intentional Fundraiser, and tag me, Tammy Zonker, and you'll be entered into a drawing for some great swag, books, and courses. And if you like today's show, you might also be interested in becoming a member of my Fundraising Transformer community, where I go live twice a month with my members with fundraising training and group coaching to help transform those fundraising issues that keep you awake at night, where I pull back the curtain on how you can take your fundraising results to the next level. 
by teaching ways you can improve your development operations, create a results-driven, donor-centric development plan, strengthen donor relationships, improve your donor retention rates, and build a raging monthly giving program and a successful major gifts program, and how you can approach each day to ensure you'll perform at your highest level so you can be the best fundraiser and the best person you can possibly be. Thank you for showing up and for having the courage and determination to transform your fundraising so you can transform the world. Bye for now.